What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. It was an interesting weekend in the world of combat sports, and I'll get to that on today's show. Plus, I'll talk about the UFC's heavyweight division, some recent comments made by Justin Gaethje, all of that in a moment. But first, I want to tell you about one of today's sponsors. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens at the beginning of the year because I realized I wasn't getting all the nutrients I need in my diet. I don't have the time and honestly don't have the will to take a bunch of supplements throughout the day. This is where Athletic Greens has come in to save the day with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens. You're absorbing 75 quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. Guys, it costs you less than $3 a day, cheaper than your daily latte habit. Consider this an investment in your health, athletic greens, has over 70,000 five-star reviews. I know 70-year-olds who take it and pro athletes. It's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immunity system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. And it tastes pretty great. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Guys, you will excuse me if I address the elephant in the room by ignoring it completely for now. Very interesting weekend, though, unfolded. I can't tell you how impressed I was with Blohal Muhammad in words. And as we start to break down all the things that came out over the weekend, one of the most biggest takeaways for me was a very simple comment made by Dana White as it pertained to Francis Ngannou. And Dana was saying, I think this is close to a quote, look, I don't know off the top of my head, I believe Francis has one more fight here. If he wants to stay with us, great. And if he doesn't, that's okay too. Now that's gonna sound very simple to you guys. It was very polite, it was very matter-of-fact and to the point by Dana. But there is a tremendous message in there. Now, I want to personalize this. I was not what you would call Ngano's biggest fan. I respected Ngano. I saw what he did. I admired that he came back to a championship against the same guy in Stipe who defeated him before. It's very tough when you're tested mentally. This was a mental challenge against Ngano that he passed, right? Stipe stops him. You guys remember the time of that fight. Ngano was a two and a half to one favorite. 
Stipe not only beat him, he beat him all five rounds. So for Ngannou to pick himself up and become a number one contender again, find himself in that bright light, but be able to close the gap and change the outcome, I was impressed by. If I was handing compliments to Francis, I probably would have stopped there because he used to drive me crazy with some of the pieces and the movers maneuvers that he would do within the sport. I just didn't agree with him. I did not agree with the way that Francis was conducting business. Now, how is that any of my business? In all fairness, it's not. I'm a fan. I'm a fan that followed him and I'm looking at this guy. He looks the way I always wanted to look. He performs the way I always wanted him to perform. And I felt like if we could have combined some of my thoughts with some of his power, it was one of these things. And I inserted myself, probably none of my business in fairness. But then I met him. I met him. And it was very brief. I had a very brief exchange. We shook hands. We're face to face. Whatever was said is between he and I. But it, it was very brief. And my opinion of him changed like that. Have you ever have you ever had that? I'm sure you guys can relate. Maybe it was a guy in school, a guy at work, but you never liked the guy. Maybe you'd even talk, talk some trash about him. But the truth was you never knew him. You never spent any time with him. It was all from the outside. And you saw a few things and you made a few judgments. And then maybe you did interact with him at the water cooler. And you came away with a total, oh my gosh, how did I have that guy so wrong? I had that when I met Francis. I'm looking at this physical specimen, the same as I've looked at, but now when I'm looking at his eyes, I'm dealing with a person that's a human being. He's got hopes, goals, dreams, emotions. He's got everything like everybody else. It totally changed our relationship. As brief as it was, it did change our relationship. So when Dana comes out, and Dana says if he's going to be here or he doesn't going to be here, and that's up to Francis, and will live with ever the result, it, it's a very big deal. Because MMA, I don't want you guys to miss it. There's a real message here, no matter how simple Dana put it. MMA is not like another field. And oftentimes you'll have a lawyer, a manager, that thinks they're, that they're the ones that solved MMA. This is a sport, by golly. Or you get the guy that thinks he's really smart and goes, this isn't a sport, this is entertainment. I've been in the entertainment business for 20 years. I can handle this. In a lot of things in life, that guy would be equipped to switch seats. If you were a GM, by example, of a football team, all sorts of different networks and all sorts of different towns and all sorts of different jerseys, if you got up and left that seat and became the GM of any other football team, you're probably pretty equipped on day one to go do that job. The same would go if you're one of these entertainment guys. I represent country music stars for 20 years. You could probably switch seats and represent an R&B talent or a jazz or a pop star and be able to transfer those skills that you have. MMA is different. It's unique. And I've tried to share with you guys, there is no university in the world you can major in MMA. There is no library in the world you can go check out a book on MMA. You have to get in it and learn it. And you're going to start with learning the stuff that doesn't work. And that includes Dana White. If you go look at the UFC and a lot of the approaches that were done in 2001, those approaches aren't done anymore. Everybody, including Dana, is going to pay for an education. So when you have somebody like Dana that makes a statement, it's important that you listen. And I feel as though these words might have gone over your head because Dana just laid it out. 
He just laid it all out. All the chips were on the table. Taking those very few words, and I'm going to repeat them. If he would like to continue on with us, great. If he would like to go somewhere else, that's okay too. All the chips are now on the table. We have an organization. We're going to have divisions. We're going to have a ranking within each division. We're going to top that off with something called a champion. We're going to do it under the unified rules, and we're going to follow weight classes, and we're going to have commissions, and we're going to contest it here inside of an eight-sided steel cage. But this is what it is if that does not work for you. If there's something better that you can get. And generally when the guys are talking, it's monetarily, but it doesn't have to be. It could feed his ego. It could it could feed geographically located. Look, I only want to fight in this area. You have the right to do whatever it is you want, but everything is above board. You talk about it, you go back and forth, you sign, they sign, and everybody lives up to the agreement. And the idea that somebody is going to be bigger than the sport or bigger than the division or to compare yourself to boxing, just by example, because it's a comparison I hear a lot, you're operating out of the confines of what we're doing. Here's what we do here. Here's the amount of time that we do it for, and here's what the participation and the rewards are here. I don't know what everybody else does because I'm here. But if you or somebody representing you would like to go and find out what those things are and you decide that that's better for you, then you'll probably go there. It's as simple as that. And there has to be some kind of intrinsic value or none of this is worth it, guys. There has to be something that you feel inside. I don't know of any pros we have. I can't say it with all clarity that's an absolute statement, but I don't know of any. Pros that we have that don't have an amateur career. And nothing shines more true and obvious of what I'm saying to be true, that there must be something intrinsic than coming up through Little League, coming up through high school. You go off to college, you're pursuing something twice a day, every day, you're working hard, you're traveling the road, you've got these goals. Generally, everybody's season leaves with nothing but heartache and disappointment, but they get up and they come back the next year and they try again anyway. That has to mean something. Then, very few make it to the pros, where this can be what they do. But a lot of times I see guys lose that intrinsic value. I never had the success of Francis. I look at Francis truly, a guy that I've always wanted to look like with the success that I've always wanted to have. And I stand back and I go, this guy's got it made. This guy's got it all figured out. Everything is going his way. His life is what I've only dreamed of having a life like. But he feels something different. And he's not wrong. And I'm not going to second guess him. I would try to encourage him, only encourage him, that if you're getting advice from people and you don't like the way that your direction is going, perhaps you should try getting advice from other people. And that's a tough one. Because now, the same things I'm admitting to you I did to Francis was to, to judge him from the outside. Then I meet him and realize, ah, chill, you had this, you got to rethink this one. I'm now attempting to apply that to his management team, who I have not met. I'm doing the same thing to them, guessing and prejudging a situation without meeting them. So I'm just offering some thought. There's many different coaches that will teach you how to set up and throw a jab. Francis chose to listen to one of them. That jab is going to set up body shots, is going to set up hooks, is going to finish with a kick. These are called combinations, and Francis, over his experience, chose to listen to someone. 
So we know that he's coachable. And a lot of times in this sport, the higher level of success you get, you're always going to have scumbags that are going to be associated with you. You're never not going to have these scumbags. The more successful you get, you have a higher class of scumbag that's now going to come around you. And in most walks of life, it would be fair. If you could be a GM for the Rams, you can probably play a GM for the Raiders tomorrow, and there's going to be a big learning curve there that you've already maximized. And a lot of those pieces, it's going to be a pretty smooth transition. MMA is unique. It's one of these things. And I don't want to pass judgment. If any of this sounded anti-management to Francis, I don't mean for it to. This is more of an introspection on myself that I don't want to go out and prejudge a situation. I'm just still looking at Francis as the guy that's in the position that I think many of us have only dreamed of being and what he's going to do there and how he's going to play it is relevant. Because while it's going to be presented to you as though it's the jab followed by the cross, there was a whole bunch of things that had to take place. I personally believe that Francis's biggest challenge is the one that comes next, which is surreal gone. And I don't bring that to you so that we have a fight to look forward to. I bring that to you because I don't think that surreal gone ever should have been elevated to the position that he's in to even get the opportunity to face Francis if Francis would have played things differently. The creation of Surreal Gone was not Surreal Gone's perfect takedown defense. It wasn't all these knockouts. It wasn't his kickboxing record. It wasn't his charming good looks or his nice smile. The creation of Surreal Gone was by a rejection to compete by Francis Ngannou. Now, you may like that piece of the story, and you may not. I'm right when I say that. Surreal Gone never became a number one contender. Surreal Gone never fought for an interim championship, and an interim championship was never even created to be fought for if Francis hadn't created it. So this is the piece where I do question, and I'm going to be right or I'm going to be wrong. That's between those boys under the unified rule. Rule is going to take place in California in mid-January. That's between them. But for me to begin to tell the story ahead of time of how we got here, I am right factually. And telling you, Surreal does not get the opportunity. Surreal does not become the interim champion. And Surreal is not standing opposite Francis without the help of Francis. If that goes south, it's going to be a reckless and dangerous position that Francis was in that he never needed to be in. He created. I'm right when I say this. I'm historically right to bring this up. And a fighter's number one job is to get the biggest paycheck against the easiest opponent at all times. Whether Surreal turns out to be that hardest opponent or not, he's still here and he's still been given the opportunity because of decisions that were not made by himself. They were made by Francis. So I just told you about some comments Dana White made from the past weekend. Another thing that happened last weekend is, of course, the rematch between Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley. Now, it's been a few days since I've spoken to you, so let's take a couple of minutes to get caught up to speed on the fight and where we go from here. What do you want to do? Do, do we keep arguing with one another when I tell you that Paul's a legit badass and that upsets everybody? Do we keep arguing with one another? Has he done enough and he's shown it? And it's very relevant. 
it's very relevant that you let me know, and I will read your comments. I will read every single one of them, and I do not say that with exaggeration. I need to have my pulse on top of this, and I will share that with Jake Paul, and I kid you not, because I am absolutely convinced what makes him tick is your opinion, and everybody will go through that that has any level of uh, public persona. They will all go through how much do I need to respond to the public's opinion, but he appears to be smack dab in the middle of it. I really do think that. There's no other reason to be doing what he's doing. I give him a ton of credit for the fact that he even went out there against T-Wood. And I'm talking about this second time. I'm talking about over the weekend. He did not need the money from that card. He did not need the attention. He didn't need to just go out there and compete because, by golly, I just love the Queensberry rules. He didn't. There was more at play. First off, he promised you all he was going to do something. Second, he's working with an organization and a company who's already gone to great lengths. Third, he's got an arena of people that are coming to see him. He came through with his word, not to mention there was 18 other people on that card whose end of year would have been ruined on a very real level had that night of work not taken place. It was a superstar move by Paul. Complete superstar move. But let's discuss it. What do you want to do? Are we still going to continue the narrative that he hasn't boxed anybody real? Because I hear that a number of times, but I don't hear anybody offering a definition of what real means. Because if your name is T. Woods, you're a couple of time All-American, and you're a former world champion who is likely headed to the Hall of Fame someday, in any form of combat, I don't really give a goddamn what it is, you really qualify in my world as real. If you want to look at boxing which is so dirty, incompetent, and corrupt that the government had to be brought in to regulate it and tell me that he's not fighting boxers? Says who? What does that mean to be a boxer? I mean, in all fairness, let's really back this thing up. Says who? What is it you have to do to be a boxer? It would seem to me if you put on the 16-ounce gloves and you step in a, a ring under the Queensberry rules that you're now a boxer. But for some reason, there's a mythical definition out there that is yet to be explained to me, but is somehow known in the hearts and the minds of the fans everywhere as to what a boxer is. Because I will just tell you, I have a feeling that Fury is going to get the fight. Fury should not get the fight, in all fairness, because he doesn't check any boxes, and he seems like a very lovely young man. But I don't believe that Fury was ever getting the, the fight if his brother didn't happen to be Tyson. That's just what I believe. It came with a built-in media arm, and after all, this is a promotion. So he has something to offer, and every comma and every zero was representative to taking on and become part of that family name. Does anybody disagree with me? Because if you do, there's a stat out there of which I don't know off the top of my head, but it's something crazy, like Fury's combined opponent's records have eight wins and 130 losses. I'm not exact, guys, but I'm close, and I might be exaggerating in his favor. It might be worse. It might be five wins and 140 losses. It is something insane. One of the opponents that Fury had had two wins and 99 losses. I didn't even know that you could get a commission to sanction that. I have never seen of anything, let alone even been told it in my entire life, and I don't offer you an exaggeration, to, to make believe that we're going to fit the category of real. You have a real guy in Fury. You're going to tell me whatever the hell Fury has on his resume. I'm not looking to bear him. Really, he does seem like a sweet kid. But in all fairness, whatever he had on his resume is more real than Tyron 
who's a multi-sport, wildly successful, had his college paid for, future Hall of Fame combatant? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Tyrant qualifies as real. I don't know that there's a better out th idea out there for Jake. And there's not a lot of guys that want to fight him. There's a lot of guys that would like the money and are realizing, look, this end of the pool is getting more and more bodies put into it, and the embarrassment is something I can deal with. Pen me, pay me. And that is where Fury would fit in, and I would predict that Fury is going to get the match. I don't want to see him get the match. I know full well he doesn't want to do it. Me as a viewer, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to see two guys fight unless it's a volunteer army. If anybody's got drafted to be there or kicked in the ass or a carrot dangled in front of them, if I know they don't want to be there, I don't want them there. It feels, it just feels wrong. This is not a game that you play. Fighting is different. It's not for fun. It's not for play. It's very serious. And if one of the two doesn't want to be there and Fury clearly doesn't bring somebody else in, but I don't hear anybody speaking up. That's why I'm on my whole anti-Tyson Fury's little brother campaign. I don't want to see it. It doesn't make any sense. We've already done it. Waving the white towel is the universal sign of surrender. He doesn't have to go in there and fall down for us. He said, I don't want to do it. Let's let him off the hook. But let's find somebody else that, we, that we're that we going to bring in. Let's discuss who that's going to be. Let's have some fun with it. But let's quit putting the word real. I mean, boxing is one of those tough sports, in all fairness. I was a professional fighter and I was 29 years old before I met my first boxer. I used to live at the Olympic Training Center that has a boxing program and I never met a boxer. I never came in contact with anybody that had ever been in the ring opposite another man until I was 29 years old. I turned pro. I was amateur fighting at 19. I turned pro at 23 and I'd still never met a boxer. I, had I knew people that knew boxing. I knew people that had garages and gyms. I was getting workouts. I was doing the whole thing. I never met somebody where I stood across and shook their hand that had actually been in there and done it. There was no junior high that has it. There's no high school that does it. There's no college you can get a scholarship. It is a niche and a fringe sport like no other. And I'm sure a lot of you could relate with what I just said. Not only do you guys have never boxed, you don't know a boxer. You couldn't even do a degree of separation. Well, my bus driver knows a guy who used to box. My bus driver's friend's nurse's daughter is dating a guy that boxed. No one knows a boxer. You want to be a top 10 boxer in the world? Raise your hand. Raise your hand and get a license to box. Nobody does it. I'm not putting it down. What I'm putting down is the idea of what's real. It's a very simple sport to be part of because nobody does it because you don't play it. It's hard. It's not basketball where there's a hoop on every corner. You guys don't even know where to buy boxing gear. If I told you I'll give you $100, take a boxing lessons tonight. You don't know where a boxing gym is. And if you go to the yellow pages, which is what I used to do, the boxing gyms have so little money, they couldn't even take out an advertisement. You not only don't know where a boxing gym is, you won't even be able to find one. You've got to ask someone, ask someone, ask someone. I realize that the day of the internet... That likely is not to be as literal as it was, but I literally searched for boxing my whole life. And when I finally found it, I asked them, how come you're not in the yellow page? They said, we can't afford the ad. I'm not making this up. So what is it you have to do to be real? If Tyron Woodley doesn't qualify as real, what in the hell does? And why do we want to take this from Paul so bad? At what point, why can't we pat a guy on the back? Say, you know what? I really didn't see tough guy out of you. I saw entertaining, I saw character, I saw the YouTube, but is he tied to Disney somewhere or something? Like all of these things that somehow we're supposed to tease him, why can't we give him those things then also add to the list? Turns out, by the way, you're a pretty tough guy. Like, boxing is very complicated. 
If anything that I just said makes you think I'm insulting boxing, I love boxing. I respect it tremendously. It's just really hard. You will find a basketball hoop. Just open your eyes. Your neighbors likely have one pinned up to their garage. You may have one pinned up to your garage. Every high school, every gym, every gymnasium, everywhere has multiple basketball hoops. It's fun. A lot of people want to play. It's a really good time. Boxing's not that way. It's just harder. That's all that I'm suggesting for you. So when you have somebody like Paul that can just move, that can just move his feet, move his head, move his hands, just to be able to do that, three minutes at a time for up to eight rounds can take two years to build up that muscle, to have that lactic acid, to be able to deal with the adrenaline and have the endurance would take you about two years of very hard work to do. He's done that. Paul's been boxing longer than he's ever advertised for us. I don't know that because I know him or I know his team. I know that by watching. You cannot learn that in a training camp. You cannot learn that because you're an enthusiast and you got to match somewhere. Several of his opponents weren't aware of that. Nate Robinson, rest his soul, thought, okay, this guy's going to spend eight weeks and I'll spend eight weeks and he knows some of the boxes and I found some of the boxes. It's one of those things. And Nate, just offering an example, found it. No, it's different. This is something that you have to do and you have to do a lot of. And no matter you got a bag in your garage or you got the speed or you're jumping rope because you saw that on a Rocky movie. No, you've got to be opposite, mono a mono with somebody for lots of minutes, lots of days, lots of weeks, lots of months that turns into years. Paul's good. He has a natural power. I'm not impressed with anything that he does as much as I'm impressed with his feints. To faint somebody, remember that game, some jerk would have played it with you, and maybe you were the jerk, where you'd flinch at somebody, and they go, and then and then you give them two, and you and you punch them in the shoulder twice, two for flinching. Remember that stupid game, but every jerk's played it at some point. You've at least seen it. Paul can actually make people flinch. He has motions, he could do them. Whoa, makes the other guy freeze. Boom, boom. He touches him, gets out of the way. That takes years to develop. His feints, Paul, I'll even go back to the Nate Robinson fight. When I watched that fight, as quick as it was and as little as it was shown, I could see those feints. I'm going, wait a minute. Nobody knows how to just do that. Some people do have a natural power. Some people naturally will understand the geometry of range. Some people quickly can learn to turn a punch over and to sit down on a shot. Nobody just knows how to flinch. Nobody just knows how to feint. Paul did, and I saw that early. I saw some real skills. Now I'm seeing a guy in this tyrant fight who's tired who's working hard, who's got a sweet, whose heart rays up, who's still involved. Now I'm seeing a competitor. Now I'm seeing just about everything I have to see. But he's also playing a different game. He is a star. So unless he has a goal to pursue actual championships and actual divisions, which he may, if he does, I'm very open to give him the opportunity. But if he doesn't, if he wants to take on other stars and other tough guys in a tough guy contest, I'm open to that too. I do think that some of these real boxers, I do think there's a definition to that. Even though I'm teasing you guys saying that we've never said what it is, we of course have a definition. We have a kid who's been boxing by the time he was 14. We have a kid who, who had Olympic aspirations, who entered some tournaments, who went through some golden gloves. We have some real boxers out there, but I don't hear any of them coming after Paul. Some of those real boxers are real goddamn scared. It's a lot like we're seeing in MMA, right? It used to be the tough guy business. Now it's the fake tough guy business. I don't see these people coming after Paul. I do think that Fury's going to get the fight just by the process of elimination. But I'm also right when I tell you, Fury doesn't want the fight. Don't make him do this. 
There's somebody else out there who is a competitor, who is hungry, who does have a dream. Let's get behind that guy. First thing we have to do is identify who is that. Coming up next, I'll transition back to the UFC and one of the most exciting fighters in all of combat sports. But first, I want to tell you some more about today's sponsors. It's not too late to give yourself or a loved one a gift that keeps getting better night after night. The best sleep on an 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover. I know I've told you guys about the 8 Sleep Pod Pro, but it really is one of my top favorite finds of all of 2021. I've been so impressed with the technology of this product. I'm pretty much tech illiterate, but I'm amazed how a few custom adjustments on their app helps me stay comfortable all night and feeling refreshed in the morning. This thing adjusts its temperature and reacts based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature throughout the night, creating the best sleeping environment for you. I don't know how they did it, but 8sleep used the most advanced technology to create this product and kept it extremely user-friendly. I consider this an investment in my family life, business, and long-term health. After a good night's sleep, I've been way more productive throughout the day and have felt more rested and sharp. Data shows that 8sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40%, and get overall more restful sleep. I can testify to this. Who doesn't want a better night's sleep? This holiday season, give the gift of better sleep and a present that will keep giving back every day of the year. Go to 8sleep.com slash you're welcome for an exclusive holiday savings. That's 8sleep.com slash you're welcome. Would you consider yourself a certified coffee nerd or a self-professed coffee newbie? Either way, you gotta hear about trade. If there's one thing I can't stand, it's bad coffee. Oh, yuck. I love to start my day with a cup of rich, bold-tasting new, and trade has made my mornings much more enjoyable. Let me tell you a little bit about how it works. You start by taking an online coffee quiz. Do you use a French press, automatic drip, are you a cold brew person? No problem. Your answers will allow Trade to pair you with the perfect coffee to fit your taste and brewing mechanism. Trade will match you to coffees you'll love from over 400 craft coffees and send you a freshly roasted bag as often as you like. You get to determine the frequency. Fun fact, when I submitted my first order, I received my bag within one week. I was so surprised how quickly fresh roasted coffee arrived right at my door. Trade guarantees you'll love your first match. On the off chance you don't, they will replace it with a different bag for free. For my listeners, right now Trade is offering your first bag free and $5 off your bundle at checkout. To get yours, go to drinktrade.com backslash chael and use the promo code chael. Take the quiz to start the journey to a perfect cup of coffee. That's drinktrade.com slash chael. Use the promo code CHAIL for your first bag free and $5 off your entire bundle. And this holiday season, give the coffee lover in your life the gift of better coffee too with their own personalized gift coffee subscription from Trade. Enjoy. Justin Gaethje, talking about his pending fight with Charles Oliveira, came out and said, if I can't outstrike Oliveira, then I'm effed. 
So first off, it's a two-part question. I want to ask you, is he right? And secondly, is he telling the truth? That's what's more compelling to me, because if anybody has learned how to play the media and get a headline during the last year, it is Justin Gaethje. I love new Justin way compared to old Justin. I have maintained for you for three years now, any question you have at 155 pounds, the correct answer is Justin Gaethje. Any question you have to ask, 150, who sh what should we do? Who should we put in this opportunity at 150? Justin Gaethje. But new Justin Gaethje is far more enjoyable for me. Justin Gaethje post Khabib is a new guy. The timeline of Gaethje is even interesting. He took his oars out of the water completely when he got done with Khabib. And when he comes back, he's a media sensation. His performance is through the roof. He's drawn right back into a world title fight. A lot of amazing things, but there are some things, commonalities, that are different. And the way that Justin is speaking, as often as he's speaking, the interest that we have in the words that he's saying are right at the top of that list, which is where I have to go to part two of my question. Is he telling the truth? There is no fighter who will ever speak without understanding each and every word is a negotiation. Each and every word has a place in this battle. Many times it's not to bother the opponent. The media will always say, he's trying to get in the guy's head. I don't even know what that means. Like I'm familiar with the phenomenon of the expression, he's trying to get in guy's head. I've had people say it about me, he's trying to get in the guy's head. I don't personally know what it means. It certainly isn't literal. There isn't like a door and you're stepping into the guy's head. Like I don't actually know what that means, but I have seen guys wilt in the locker room. I do know that it's a very real thing. I know as far as getting somebody's head, I know that Conor McGregor was in the head of Jose Aldo, just to offer you an example. Joe Jose came out the other side much stronger. Nobody's ever got in his head since, but it's a fair example that one you guys would know and remember. That's the one that I will submit for you. I'll personalize it. When I was doing this game, okay, instead of trying to get into somebody's head, 90 plus percent of it was me trying to talk myself into something. Me trying to believe it, believing that there's some level of truth to the laws of attraction, not wanting to put anything out there unless it was favorable to me. In all fairness, and that served as a byproduct of getting in the opponent's head, that was a bonus, but it was never a thought. I was solely set on trying to get myself in the right frame of mind to get from one practice to the next, beat the scale, and ultimately deal with the guy in front of me the following night. Okay. I used to tell people, I'm going to take you down. The moment the ref says go, I'm going to put my head in your chest and I'm going to run you through that fence. I'm going to put you up and I will put you on your prissy little ass. I use that same quote with so many guys. Because the first guy I used it on, while it was completely true, had to analyze that and look at it. And he believed, okay, there's no way he's telling his real game plan. Nobody would ever tell you what their actual plan is. So if he keeps warning me, every opportunity he gets, he being Chael that he's going to take me down, he must, just by default, he must be planning to do the opposite, which is to strike. I took that guy down easier than I've taken anybody down. So I copied that game plan, went on the next, told everybody, including him, told him at the press conference, told him at the scale of the weight at the face off the day before, how quickly I'm going to take him down. Sure enough, I put my head in his chest, ran him to that fence, picked him up and put him down because he didn't believe it. Even though I was handing him the truth, he believed Right, in psychological chess, he believed I must be preparing to do the opposite. Nobody hands away their game plan. And that gets sensitive, guys. I've been in practice rooms. Cameras come in to film you. 
I would just go have a regular practice. I would do my regular thing, let the cameras pick it up, couldn't have cared less. I've been in another practice room where there's no cameras involved. No cameras even allowed. Signs that say you cannot film sparring. People that have tried to film sparring and they've been asked to leave or their, their footage has been confiscated and deleted. Like, this is not a joke. This is very serious for some guys. I've had other guys, countdown show comes out. I'm just a workout partner, but they would throw a fit and not want a trainer. They would tell me, okay, only do this and I'm only going to do this because the cameras are on. I don't fault those guys. They just didn't have the mindset of me. I admired that Mike Tyson told everybody in the world, I'm going to uppercut you and follow it with a hook. He would tell everybody and nobody could stop it, but they would all sit around and dwell on it. They would all be so worried about stopping the uppercut and the hook that they would forget to mount their own offense. And the greatest defense is a good offense, but so many guys miss that. So I'm merely subscribing and admitting to what I used to do, which was to just tell the truth. But the guy doesn't know it's the truth because he can't imagine anybody would actually tell him. And then he would talk him into something else was going to happen. Easiest guys in the world to take down were the guys that I would tell ahead of time. Not only am I going to take you down, I'm going to do it right away. And I'll even tell you the technique. Put my head in your chest. I'm going to grab both of your legs. I'm going to pick you up and let gravity do the rest. It was so easy. It was so easy. Which then, of course, I have to wonder, is Justin Gaethje telling the truth? Because it seems like a pretty fair assessment. If you were to give a knock on Charles Oliver, which you're going to have to look closely to do, it's going to be hard to critique the champion of the world, but you could. Numbers don't lie, and Charles Oliver gets hit a lot. He gets hit a lot more than most other champions. Charles Oliver does not have some Chris Lieben-esque chin that he's known for. He reacts like a normal human being, which is he falls down and he's hurt. None of that's a knock on Charles. It's something that we have to be aware of because Justin Gaethje is damn good at touching people. Charles gets touched and Gaethje does the touching. Charles reacts like a normal human to a shot and Justin Gaethje delivers a superhuman shot. When if you're a uh, Justin Gaethje believer, you've got your data to go ahead and bet on him and feel pretty confident. Now, if it's going to be an overall dust-up and a mess of a fight, it's going to go on the ground, and there's going to be reversals, and a guy's on top, and a guy's on bottom, we bring submissions into play, you're very good and comfortable to see the beauty of the skills of Charles Oliveira. It's a very compelling match. But we've now heard from one of the principals, the B-side to be specific, and I want to know if we agree with him. If Oliveira can go with Gaethje on the feet, we'll call it that, he doesn't have to beat him. If he can go with him, if we're talking about a 55-45, a 60-40 split here, even if that favors Gaethje, is that enough to beat Oliveira? And according to Gaethje, no. Gaethje's saying, I will need more. I need my hits to hurt. I need my hits to create a reaction. Unlike what most other people could take. And I think that we should listen to Gaethje. And 9 out of 10 times, guy. and if this was old Justin, I would tell you he's telling it straight. But new Justin is a whole other animal. Far more enjoyable. And I used to believe that Justin Gaethje was tougher and hell the end. The most athletic thing I've ever seen Justin Gaethje do in the octagon is a flip off the top of it in celebration after victory. I've never seen a great athlete out there. I've seen one hell of a tough guy who likes to compete, and it doesn't matter if he's hurt, and it doesn't matter if he's tired, he's still competing, fully respected. The Chandler fight is where I see we have a great athlete. I did not know that about Justin Gaethje. I did not know the athleticism. I know the resume. 
I remind you guys all the time. Northern Colorado, Division One wrestler, fifth in the NCAA, All-American. I come and tell you because he doesn't show any of it. He didn't ever do it. I've never seen a great athlete. I've seen an absolute brute. Now I've got the same brute that I've always witnessed with incredible athletic skills, something we didn't know. All of a sudden, that backflip off the cage has more meaning to me. When Justin Gaethje got lifted off the ground in midair, rotated to the lower part of Chandler's body, came to the mat and hit a leg pass, you're talking about some of the highest level athleticism the sport's ever seen. Are you ready for that? That two to three second exchange was some of the most athletic maneuvering the sport has ever seen. Are you ready for that statement? And now all of a sudden you look to that backflip and you go, you know, come to think of it, a backflip is pretty hard to do. And you're going to be pretty tired and the height of the octagon and where are you? And there's lights and there's a dark spot and he sticks it every time. Like all of a sudden that backflip that you used to just think was a piece of celebration and brush, all of a sudden it starts to become a little bit more impressive, doesn't it? So now we've got Gaethje telling us, telling us I must, I must outstrike Oliveira or I'm really going to be in trouble. Is he telling the truth? Or is he trying to take Oliveira's eye off a different ball? I don't know. It's too early. But what you could misconstrue as a candid and compelling statement by Justin might be gamesmanship. close out today's show, I want to try to answer a question that you guys ask me all the time, so let's get into it. What's the biggest fight of all time? But mythically speaking, if you could go back in time and make a fight, what do you predict fight you could have made that would have been the biggest of all time? Because I know the answer, and I'm sure that you guys will agree with me. Once upon a time, it was either John Jones versus Anderson Silva, or use Anderson Silva again versus George St. Pierre. If you could have made those fights at a specific time in history, roughly 2011, 2012, whatever that did would to this day hold the record for biggest fights. And we see this in boxing too. Remember when Mike Tyson versus Evander Holyfield and part three was all any of us wanted to do, but they didn't do it. And now they would really like to get in there and they hope that they would have our interest again. Chuck and Tito made that same mistake. That once upon a time, everything lined up for them to fight. But when they decided to do part three, they had lost our interest, right? No insult to anybody. Just showing how important timing is. There was a talk, right? New fans coming to the sport. There was a talk when one of the super fights was Dominic Cruz versus Demetrius Johnson. And we had so many people that wanted to see that, but they were new fans. I was an older fan and I would have to remind those people, Dominic Cruz did fight Demetrius Johnson. Nobody knew. It was one of those things where timing just wasn't beautiful for it. I bring this to your attention because there is so much talk around Conor McGregor and who is Conor going to fight in the summer when he returns. First off, how do you know he's returning in the summer? I mean, in all fairness, you got right. You got to start somewhere. Everything is cart and horse. Everything is chicken and egg. How are you getting to the conclusion that Connor is going to be healthy, ready to go, apply for a license, and willing in in the summer, just to start with? And now you realize, oh, well, I don't know. But let's just say that you supersede, and Connor's coming back in August. No matter what, he's coming back in August, and he should fight. By golly, fill in the blank. Most people saying Poirier. Why? Why and how are you getting to that conclusion? And is that something that you really want to be locked into? 
Do you want to have a fight announced eight months before it happens? Like, is there anything that would be enjoyable about that? And would you really want Dustin Poirier to get that nod? To show you part four to a movie that you've already seen three other times? Or would you rather keep hope alive that there is still a revolving door there? And applicants are still willing to submit their best story. Put in your best story, your best story, and see what is the most interesting, right? One thing that happened with Floyd Mayweather that I always appreciated was that when Floyd would announce a fight, he would announce it exactly five and a half weeks before he was in the ring. A training camp is 10 weeks, 8 to 12, right? A training camp. So Floyd would quite literally be in training, know what he was going to do, who he was going to do it against before he would reveal it to the world. And when he did reveal it to the world, if you were excited, and Floyd at a time when that was really exciting, it was for sure the biggest news within that sport of boxing. You only had to wait five and a half weeks. I mean, it was one consistent with, see, within his career. And it's very unique to Floyd. Tyson Fury cannot say as much. Mike Tyson could not say as much. Most MMA guys could not say as much. Floyd followed a recipe that's unlike anyone else's, and I don't. I think it's because other people just haven't identified. They just always came to the conclusion that Floyd's doing a short-notice fight, and then a month later, he's doing it again, and then two years later, he's doing it again. It wasn't short-notice fights. It wasn't that he didn't know. Built into the recipe of Floyd Mayweather's career was a five-and-a-half-week announcement. I liked it. I think it's more appropriate. When I find out something that I really want to do, I don't want to have to wait eight months. In all fairness, I like the dialogue and the back and forth and who should get it. I like the positioning. I like to see the boys arguing and fighting and using the media and getting the mandate of the masses. I like to see them on the microphone. I like to see them taking big opportunities, finding success, and then trying to propel them into something else. Why would I want to take that all away from them? Right? Because what's true today isn't going to be true tomorrow. And I feel that I've successfully proven that with my examples. I mean, when Chuck and Tito thought they could go up and set a cage and we were all going to come along for the ride, there was a time when they were right. And we would have, and we did, in all fairness. But when they want to go back there, much like Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield are trying to do this day, things are now different. And even if you're thinking, yeah, chill, but that's two decades. Okay, I don't disagree, but all I'm trying to prove is there is a time factor. Even if it's two decades, we're at least all agreeing there is a time factor. The time factor of eight months out on Conor McGregor, boy, that's a tough sell. They say that there's only two athletes in combat, ever, in history, who can sell on their own. Oscar De La Hoya and Mike Tyson. I don't think that that's true. I think that that statement needs amended. I think you need to put Floyd Mayweather in there. But I also think you need to put Conor McGregor in there. I don't think that it matters if Conor McGregor is going to take on a mop. I watched Conor McGregor sell out four venues for a press tour against Floyd Mayweather. No chance of a punch ever being thrown. One of them was in L.A. on a hot day at 2 in the afternoon. The last thing you want to do on a weekday is go be indoors when it's beautiful and sunny. You got work, you got school, you got obligations, you got kids, a wife, whatever it is you have to do, they still fill up an arena at an off hour to watch Connor on stage with absolutely no chance of a punch being thrown. And these are supposedly fight fans. Nobody else can say that. We have a very unique guy that offers something very unique where the commodity is not just the performance. It's not just the punches and the kicks. He's got another skill. 
I think that the statement that the only ones have ever sell on their own, Mike Tyson and Oscar De La Hoya, I do think that that was true. And then came Floyd around 2008. Floyd wasn't always Floyd. Don't forget that. Pretty boy Floyd couldn't draw money if he had a green crayon. Thank you, Colby Covington, for the quote. But Money Mayweather was a very big deal. I watched Mayweather fight, by example. 2005, I worked with the Oregon State Athletic Commission. Mayweather came out here. He headlined a Roy Jones card opposite Sean Bay Mitchell. Sean Bay was a former world champion. We're a fight city like any other. Portland's not lighting the world of fighting on fire, but we can keep up with anybody. We played a 13,000-seat arena. They papered the entire house, which means they gave tickets away, and they still only had 5,000 people come. That was for Pretty Boy Floyd. That was 2005, just to put it in perspective, because by 2008, Money Mayweather had arrived. They would have sold out that same venue, no problem. Wouldn't have had a single ticket to give away. Timing matters. So I do think you need to bring Floyd in that list. And I know you have to bring Connor onto it. I think that there's now four fighters who on their own can sell. The question does become who the opponent is going to be. And I think that we would misserve ourselves to pick that opponent now. We would be defaulting to, we would be taking motivation away. Let's enjoy the back and forth. Red panty night is still a real thing. People want that spot. And as much as people are so quick to say, Dustin, I would quickly counter you with, what about Nate? I mean, Nate was always the ace up the sleeve of everybody. Dana would even talk about that, say, it doesn't matter what the time is. It doesn't matter where the tides are going. I can always make that fight. He's right. But even Dana has to subscribe to the problems and the theory of time, which could be running out. I'm just going to see Connor for the next 10 years. We're not just going to have Nate for the 10 years. I'm just submitting that name. I think there's plenty of talk to do. I think if Masvidal and Connor at 170 doesn't at some point get a little bit larger discussion, I think that we would be doing a disservice to ourselves, the viewer. So there's plenty to go around. There's plenty of talk to have. But if you're a member of the media and you're trying to steer the question and say, when Connor comes back, will it for sure be Dustin? Do you even want that answer? Maybe. Maybe it's going to be done. But do you want that answer? Do you want to know? Do you not want to have the back and forth? Do you not want to have the bickering? Do you not want to have the posturing? Do you not want to see a whole bunch of guys show up for that interview just like a primary contest and whittle it down until there's one? I think you would miss that. I think that you're wrong. And I think that who's next for Connor is a very fluid situation. And if you want to be part of the conversation, the first thing that you need to do is to create some conversation. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, head on over to Apple Podcasts, search your welcome, and leave us a review like our friend Wells, who says, Chael, you are a national treasure. Well, thank you, Wells. I agree. As for the rest of you, Merry Christmas. I'll be back next week. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.